We going? Three, two, one. All right, we're just going to Hey, welcome to the podcast. We're going to continue. We're talking about award shows. And I just said the point. Don't don't sue me or kill me over this because I'm not. It's kind of a half baked opinion. I just thought of this 30 seconds ago. So don't don't kill me. But isn't the whole concept of like award shows for art, whether it's the Grammys or the Oscars or the VMAs or whatever the fuck, the whole concept of award shows for artwork is like counterintuitive to art itself. It's just like quantifying this unquantifiable thing. But I guess it's kind of like if it connects with the most people on a certain level, there's something there's like people just want to celebrate the, uh, aspect. People want to celebrate the artwork that everybody enjoys, but it preserves a baseline of artistic integrity. Keegan says it preserves a baseline of artistic integrity, which I don't know what that means, but Either way, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. Um, Carl, how's your week, buddy? So far, so good. Yeah? You rocking and rolling? I googled why are there award shows. <laughs> I, I didn't get anywhere. All right. I don't know why there's award shows, but I think it was Colin, Colin just sent us something. Um, this is like fucking, I thought it was really, really cool. The Guinness Book of World Records was originally started by Guinness Beer. You know how much we like Guinness Beer on this podcast. Apparently, it was some dude, he was like out with his buddies and they're, you know, drinking and they're uh, hunting or something like that. And he misses a bird and he's like, well, the bird is the fastest bird in Europe. And they're like, no, it's fucking not. Fuck you. And he's like, yeah, you want to bet? Right? So basically... The Guinness Book of World Records was supposed to be a promotional book that you would put into bars and pubs um, to settle bar arguments. So Carl would be like, this fucking, did you know that my shoes, whatever, you know how it is. I can't think of, I can't think of one, but you know, it was just meant to be a, um, a promotional thing to settle bar arguments, pub arguments. Uh, and then the book did so well that they ended up selling it um, just for the book itself. And uh, yeah, that's how the Guinness Book of World Records was started. And now Carl's going to give you his opinions and thoughts on what I just said. <laughs> I got to close this door. Hang on. That's cool that that's how the world records were started. And in summation, I agree. Anyway, uh, I'm really interested. You you wanted to talk about this live action out live action Tarzan movie, and I'm I'm interested why you said it's oh. fucking crazy, dude. Has if you haven't seen okay, what well, it came out in the like 2016 or something like that. There's a live action Tarzan, and it's just the most dramatic thing on the fucking planet. Like it's Tarzan, just. 
talk to gorillas, fucking bring in Tantor and write, call it a fucking day. Clayton. Bro, the original Tarzan is also the most dramatic fucking movie on the planet. Yeah, but it's like Disney dramatic. It's normal. It's like, you know, there's some songs. His parents get eaten by tigers. Bro. I know, I know, but this is different. So I'm going to spoiler alert. Here it comes. It takes place. Tarzan moves to Europe with Jane. And then he's basically like a superhero. He's just like this super badass guy. Um, and then he has to go back to the Congo because he, I guess the, the it's not Clayton, but a Clayton-esque character, the villain, like wants a bunch of diamonds and stuff like that. And he's whatever. So, so Tarzan goes back. By the way, Tarzan's name is now John. And so... He just goes and he's just, you know, he has to fight his older brother who is now the leader. Uh, and you find out that Tarzan had a beef with this like local tribe because this local tribe used to hunt gorillas for like a ritual to become a man. And the leader of the, uh, of the tribe's son killed Kala. His mom. And so then he just went in on a fucking rampage because he's basically like a fucking superhero. And then kills that guy's son. So there's beef. It's just it's just super, super fucking dramatic. And it's like really dark. And it stars whoever the fuck plays Tarzan. It's like one of the Skarsgård brothers. Is that not, who it is? Not Bill, the other one that's tall and muscular. Margot Robbie. As Jane. And... Homie from Inglorious Bastards. Samuel L. Jackson. No, uh, the, who's the villain? Who's the villain? Samuel L. Jackson is in Inglorious Bastards for a quick moment. No, no, no. I'm talking. Who's the villain in Inglorious Bastards? Christoph Waltz. Yeah, that guy, that fucking king. He's so fucking. Christoph good. Waltz plays Christoph Waltz, and Samuel L. Jackson plays Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, like, pretty much. He like Tarzan goes to fight the the gorilla, his his brother that he has to fight to like be allowed back in. And Samuel L. Jackson's like, whoa, you're going to fight that motherfucker? Like, <laughs> it's so stupid. Also, <laughs> it was like, it's was like, let me know if you want me to shoot him. He's like, don't shoot him. <laughs> they did this one scene where Tarzan got bit on the like the neck by his older brother. Yeah. And he loses the fight. Spoiler alert. Humans don't usually do too well against silverbacks. Yeah. But he gets bit. And Samuel L. Jackson's like, oh, you're bit. Like you're you're fucked, and they show a scene where Samuel Jackson is like stitching up his wound by using fucking ants pinchers, right? So what he does, <laughs> these guys. So what he and apparently this is real. I we Googled it and it's a real practice in Africa. They take whatever kind of ants they are, and they like put it like here's the cut, right? They, squeeze the cut together and then they once it's like the ant is squeezing the cut together they rip off the ant's body so it's just the head and it's just like freezes there and they do that and it's like a form of stitches whoa isn't that fucking insane this movie seems like it's pretty high quality in reality but it sucks <laughs> <laughs> like there's this it just it's it's just really corny. It just it feels like a superhero movie, and it's just some of the fight scenes are kind of bad. Uh, but I mean, hey, it's it's worth a watch if you're like ready to like 
be entertained, but like giggle a little bit. Did you like the bit? beginning of the movie where he shows the kids his hands and it's like... Oh, I, d- I missed the beginning of the uh, movie. I came in halfway through. Yeah, he's like a celebrity in London because he's like the man that lived with apes and yeah. all that. And like a bunch of kids are like, whoa, you're Tarzan. And he's like, my name's John now, but look at my hands. And he puts his hand on the ground and like, like like turns into a gorilla hand. <laughs> like he doesn't like grow hair, but like the way he can like push his knuckles down at like... Yeah, it's cool. I mean, it's a CGI hand turning into a gorilla's hand. But you know, how whatever. often do you um, go down a YouTube rabbit hole of primitive uh, survival techniques? Never. You've never done that. No. I did go down a YouTube rabbit hole. On uh, yeah, it's always just like how to fix a car. Or Guitar pedals or shit a like car. that. Car, yeah, like my Honda. Like no, 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 no. That's not a YouTube. I mean, that's not a YouTube rabbit hole. That's a. I need to do something, so I'm watching tutorials. I'm talking like the YouTube rabbit holes that are seemingly pointless. However, it is entertaining. You're like learning stuff about something that you won't really use or do, like. Like primitive survival techniques. They'll, I mean, I go camping. Don't get me wrong, but like, they should. I learned. I spent like a half hour learning how to build this fire, like inside a log. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah, those are cool. Yeah, I'm never gonna do that. Why not? Maybe I will. I don't know. I don't. At the time when I'm going down the rabbit hole, I'm like, I'm totally gonna fucking do this. But in the rea- in reality, I'm not gonna do it. You know, I'm what? talking about those kind of rabbit holes. Go ahead. I interrupted you. You know what? Nothing. I think it's a bad idea. Why? I'll tell you later. Oh, God. Um. <laughs> hey, you ever worry? Because, like, when the beginning of the podcast, like, when we first started, like, almost a year ago, which is coming up. Oh, what is this episode? 52, right? 52. No, 51? I don't know. We, there's some... Whatever. Whenever the 53rd episode is, that is the one-year anniversary of the podcast. A special episode will be coming out. Carl will be in a costume. Carl will be hammered. He's going to say all sorts of crazy things. Anyway, yeah, like in the beginning of the we started the podcast, I feel like I was very um, conscious about what we would talk about. Like I was making sure like, you know... Uh huh. Yeah. Right. And now, now, like, I don't. I knew what every episode was filled with in the beginning because I like rewatched the episode as I was uh, editing or whatever to okay. like make sure it was entertaining and make sure whatever. Now I feel like I just don't even like whatever this is. Like I'm just gonna put it together and I'm not really gonna watch it. That's and okay. We'll put it up. Yeah. But did you ever think about like, damn? Like, I wonder what I said. No. I used to, like, before we started doing it here and it was Nobody Loves You, like... Back when it was See You Dude, you mean? Yeah, like, and there were times where I was like, ah, shit, like, I hope that my aunt doesn't watch that episode, but no, I I just don't, I don't care, It's, it's whatever, who gives a fuck? You ever worry about people, like, being like, Carl, you had this opinion on this episode of the podcast? Defend yourself, and then you're like, I don't even remember ever having that opinion. I'm just gonna say, no, I don't feel like it. Leave me alone. Um, all right, what are you grateful for these days? 
You don't have, I said <sighs> you had to have a list of four things, but you don't have to have four things. You can have one or two. I'm not gonna lie, kids. I'm a fucking big old diapy wipe today. David's moping. He's moping around. I'm not moping. I'm angry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really shut up. Dude. I don't shut the fuck up, shut Carl. Up. I'm not angry. No, legitimately though, I do think that like I'm not. I don't. I I don't know. You tell me what no. I'm grateful for. No, no. I don't give a fuck what you're <laughs> grateful for. No, I feel like I feel like I don't mope too heavily. I think like my knee jerk reaction when others would like be like, hmm. I like redirect that emotion into anger or like fucking just like you know no yeah you get uh manic more than you mope you don't you know what i'm saying does that make sense i do a lot of pacing you get you do a lot of pacing or you decide you're gonna fucking organize our fucking drawers (laughs) and you'll be like who the fuck's mail is this Yeah. I don't understand why there's all this mail here. We just fucking open it and then throw it away. <laughs> there's nothing worse. There's nothing worse David than when was... I wake up in a bad mood <laughs> and like I go in the kitchen and it's dirty from the night before. I fucking just rage clean. 30, the... 30 minutes ago, David was complaining while taking a shit. Just shouting, shouting outward to the rest of the house. <laughs> and I was like, David, just fucking put in minimal effort to have a to have a peaceful shit to yourself right now to make you feel better. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, that's so funny. <laughs> like in the moment, I truly was like just angry, <laughs> but realizing how ridiculous that is for a human being to be screaming. Yeah. While taking a shit about something else. <laughs> it's a, you're supposed to have privacy. So, and usually when you don't have privacy. So <laughs> usually when you don't have privacy, it would be you that's upset about it. Not the oh. people that are listening out on the outside. <laughs> that's so crazy. Um, so yeah, no, you don't mope. That's what you do. <laughs> oh, that is. Oh, that's good. So what are you grateful for? <sighs> <laughs> um, I'm grateful for my dog. I'm very, very grateful for my dog. Yeah, she's the best part of my day. She is nice. What are you grateful for? I am grateful for thus far this January actually experiencing weather appropriate for Los Angeles. True. Uh, and the past two years that we've lived here, I have felt lied to about how nice it is in Southern California because both years it rained from January to April were shit. It wasn't as bad the first year, but last year was fucking awful until like mid June. It didn't get nice out. It was either cloudy and dreary or raining for definitely more than half of that time. Like January through March easily. Yeah, this feels normal. I mean, like you gotta put on. We a have some rainy days right now, and we have some cloudy days. But for the most part, we've had a lot of nice days as well. Or it's like started kind of shitty earlier in the morning, but then by like two o'clock, it's nice out. And I am grateful for that. Uh, that's the biggest one I got right now. You regularly practice gratitude. Mm-hmm. You think so? Well, I get a lot of reminders of it 
because uh, I talk to like a hundred different people a day and that window, the coffee shop is usually like the means that a lot of people will either like talk about things that are exciting to them or new to them or decide to complain to me or vice versa or whatever. You know what I mean? So it's pretty easy to get like, uh, it's very, it's a job that gives me a lot of perspective. You know what I mean? Because I'm just talking to so many different people. It's like one person will like complain to me about, uh, like how their Porsche has been in the shop for an extra three days. And then the next person in line will be like stoked because he can make, rent. they made, they made to, they made it to work five minutes early because traffic wasn't that bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, ah, Interesting. sick. Like, so, uh, you know, I think it's pretty easy for me to express gratitude. I mean, that is like, uh, you know, I talked to you about like wanting to complain less is like a pretty ongoing thing that I think about. And it's a hundred percent that being the reason. Cause also part of my job is to be pleasant to people because if you're just yeah. a dickhead complainer, Hold on, pause. Something's happening with my computer. Hello? Hello? Okay, it's still working. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think uh, a goal that I've been working on is presence in the moment. Mm, very nice. Here's why. Let me fucking tell you why, Carl. Okay. I've been reading slash listening, not actually reading listening like someone in the in 2024 would um to rick rubin's new book tetragrammon uh no i don't i don't know is that a book by him it's like a brand website thing i thought it was also what the book was called but i guess it's not no uh a book is called creativity a way uh, a way of being let me just double check to make sure that's the exact title it is the Creative Act, A Way of Being, um, by Rick Rubin. And I'm, I'm not all the way through it. I'm still doing it. When I am finished the book, I do want to have an episode or a multiple episode series. This has been something in my head for a while where I break down, and Carl and I both break down a couple, two, couple different books. This book specifically, um, The War of Art, and then there was one more that I wanted to break down, but it's all about creative acts. Anyway, one of the big things that Rick Rubin talks about is the importance of presence and being present in the moment and how creativity can never happen in your head, right? And it's all about being in the moment and blah, blah, blah. And he takes a relatively, here's the cliff notes, he takes a spiritual uh, side of it. Where essentially he's saying like creative acts are not created by the individual. They're channeled through the individual and they're actually created by the universe. Um, because everything that you create is a culmination of everything that you've experienced in the past and will experience in the future. And everyone behind you has experienced and put out and stuff like that. And it's basically, it's not just you creating it. It's, it's the universe speaking through you. And the only way to have truly amazing creative acts is to be free and present and allow that energy to flow through you, blah, blah, blah. Sounds simi similar to the conversation we, we had when we all got drunk like a month and a half ago. And I was talking about like, I was saying that it was interesting to me, like applying the idea of like the law of conservation of energy. But 
applying that to like the soul and creativity. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. I do remember that. Sounds somewhat similar in essence in a way. Yeah. In essence, in essence, for sure. That's cool. But one I'll of the try to read it. That sounds fun. It's actually it's Did, really you get it on Amazon. Uh, just like Apple Books or whatever, Apple Audiobooks. Nice. Um, but basically, one of the exercises that I've been doing is just like doing a lot when I'm uh, when I drive. Like my drive home from work is a pretty monotonous. You're trying to be present in the moment of driving home alone from work. Yeah, that is crazy what do you mean i could never that like well no i'm always present and i'm always presently ready to fucking kill somebody <laughs> <laughs> no well yeah no, no, no. <laughs> just like driving home from work i find myself getting lost in thought a lot of the time which is scary because i'm driving and mm-hmm. especially when i'm like like realizing how much I'm not actually paying attention. Yeah. Because I'm just like in my own head. Yeah, you got your right? hand down here and you're yeah, just like, it's like, huh. Like sometimes I'll be like, oh shit, look at that, I'm home. Like that's <laughs> crazy. That's fucking wild to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um but like basically what I'm doing is I'm just it's not about judging the things that you see. It's not being like Oh, look at that. I think that's really cool. Or, oh, I think that sucks. It's just observing, you know? And uh, so I literally am just like, I'm hearing the car running. Like, that. I'm hearing this song with the Doppler effect because this, you know, whatever. Just like, just naming the things that I'm noticing. And I'm doing that on the drive home. I'm doing that, like, randomly throughout the day. Just trying to be very, very present. Uh, and I think, I think it's, it's very interesting to feel the difference because I am, I'm a big internal dialogue guy and it's very interesting to see how different my outlook and my actions are when I don't, when that internal dialogue gets quieted down a little bit. Um, also just being playful. It's about being playful in the book. Talk about that. Like seeing the world through your uncorrupted child's eyes. You know, you know, he says like the people who are able to have such long, successful careers in creativity, the the underlying like similarity between them is that they have never lost the childlike wonder, which is pretty interesting. So you should read it. And then you've also finished. Did you finish The War of Art? No, I'll read that, too. <laughs> no, yeah, I have it. The War of I Art. have it, but I haven't. Finished uh, it. Yeah, go ahead. OK, The War of Art is um this. It's a, a book, and it's about uh, some same thing, creative acts, like just being a creative and anything. Oh, that's the one thing that Rick Rubin said that really was sick. It's like we think of creative creativity as this gift. We think of it, this person's creative, this person is not. I'm good at creativity. I'm not good at creativity. I'm not a creative person. Sure. And one of the things that, Rick Rubin talks about is how that is not true and literally everything humans do is creativity you wouldn't look at an apple tree and when it grows an apple be like holy shit dude that apple tree just fucking you see that fucking apple you'd be like yeah it's a fucking apple tree that's what they do and that's his whole point he's like as hum- as humans 
What it means to be human is to be a creative. He said in this quote from Rick Rubin, anything, not exact quote, but like he did name these things. Phillips head screwdriver, Philly cheesesteak, and there was one other one that like really caught my ear. He's like, those are, that's art, or that's that's creativity, you know? Um, so like understanding that creative acts are something that everybody does in every job, you know, problem solving, anything like that. So it, it's not just a book for creatives. It's a, it's a book for humans as a whole. And it's about, that was going to be my question is who do you think that he wrote the book for? Obviously I think musicians are going to be the biggest ones to first buy it. And then I think other creatives are, and it definitely is about creativity. But I think you can extrapolate it from creativity to many other aspects of human life. It's very interesting. Again, I don't want to get too much into it. I do want to. I I want to do like a full, like maybe one or two episode series about creativity or something about like that. About books, creative books. Yeah. Things. You like? You ever read a self help book? Uh, no. I no. Never have. No. Uh, Would honestly, you? The books that hook me are always like. Fiction? Not like fiction, like like sci-fi, but it's like like there's the my probably my favorite book I've ever read is All the Light We Cannot See, which is now a show on Netflix, uh, and it's like a it's a semi-true, but mostly fictional story about these two people in World War Two, so it's like historical real, fiction, yeah, historical fiction or realistic fiction or whatever. That's the shit I like. I also really loved like Misery was awesome. I loved that book. Um, so yeah, I like I like reading stories more than I like reading nonfiction. But um, interesting. You know, I don't think I've ever besides Clockwork Orange, which I have like one chapter left, mm-hmm. and I've never finished it from like a year ago. I don't think I've read written a written read a like a nonfiction book in my adult life. You mean, uh, wait. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. A fiction, a fiction, a fiction, a fiction book. I've only read like nonfiction. Yeah. I don't know. I like, I, I get, um, very like imaginative. So like when I'm reading a book, that's a story I can see, like I imagine the scenes in my head. I'm a bad reader, bro. So like, that's why, that's what's <laughs> really entertaining to me. But with a nonfiction book, like I have this book chaos, which is about the guy that was like, uh, he, uh, the book started as just like a column for the New York Times or something about Charles Manson, and then he ended up uncovering all this shit about MK Ultra and all that shit. Oh, that whole thing. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I started that book, and it it's really good, but I, like I just it, I lost interest in it, and I just stopped reading it one day. Um, what was the last book you finished, front to back? It was. I'm hearing a lot of books, but I don't see a lot of books in your room. Yeah, it was all the light we cannot see, and mm. I, I, I don't have it because I lent it to my aunt. Yeah, I would never get through that. He's whole thing. saying read Matthew McConaughey's biography, and I'm gonna go back to what I said. I'm a bad reader. Oh yeah, I've definitely talked about this on the podcast, but I don't care. I'm here for people out there because I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only full-grown adult 
full-grown adult who has a college degree. And reading is hard for me. That's okay. Reading is hard. And I know not a lot of people admit it. Not a lot of people admit it. But I'm here for you people. I know there's a couple people out there who are like... There's a lot of smart people that suggest reading along with an audiobook. They're like, it's hard. I understand. I will be the spokesperson for... Adults who have trouble reading. Yeah. Uh, I'm Don't re- be afraid to say it. Other people are out there too. Don't let people like Carl who protect, who say stuff like, I love reading books. It's fine. You're allowed to have trouble reading as an adult. You can like books with pictures. You can like audiobooks. All right. Closing thoughts? We're done now? I don't know. You, you have got, any you music have, suggestions? I'm, yeah. I do have music suggestions. He is... I don't want to read his biography. Uh, fuck. Jamal... Hang on. He's a old... Ahmad Jamal. Ahmad Jamal. He is a jazz piano player. Now, I love jazz music, but sometimes when I hear like jazz piano, I'm like, bro, like hit some right notes. Like I don't care about your fucking sharp 13 every single you know whatever like sometimes hit some something that like i can sing right uh this guy is a great combination he's like it's a great combo of like really catchy and like beautiful melodies with still the interesting and uh complex harmonic choices of jazz piano specifically um one of the most individualistic pianists, composers, and arrangers of his generation. Ahmad Jamal's disciplined technique and minimalistic style had a huge impact on trumpeter Miles Davis. Miles Davis. And Jamal was often cited as, a contr- as contributing to the development of cool jazz through the 1950s. Uh, influenced by Errol Garner... Art Tatum, Tatum, and Nat King Cole, as well as uh, big band and orchestral music, Jamal developed his own boundary-pushing approach to modern jazz that incorporated an abundance, an abundance of space, and adept use of tension and release, uh, an unexpected rhythm, rhythmic phrasing, and dynamics. Great fucking tunes to throw on, bro. It's solid stuff. Uh, my favorite song that I've had so far, heard so far, is called "Experts from the Blues." Uh, if you just go on to Spotify, um, the top album and the top couple songs called "Happy Moods." It's from 1960. Great, great fucking tune. Throw that shit on driving at night. Beautiful, beautiful. What's his name again? Ahmad Jamal. Cool. He is really, we're talking pretty quickly there, and I just want people to know. How was my um, reading? Did I, do good? Jamal, did I do good? You did great. I was focused great. so hard. You have no fucking idea. Um, I thought I'd been liking more songs recently, so that for the purpose of doing this, but I don't, uh, none of this is stuff that I really feel like talking about. So, what I will say is that that one. Men I Trust song yeah, that I played I was just you guys gonna say that. the other night. It's like, it's not on any of their albums. It's one of their like singles. Oh, I didn't know that. 
What's it called? Well, maybe it is on an album, but the version that keeps playing on my phone is just a single in 2016. It's called Plain View. And it's like so epic in comparison to the rest of Men I Trust's music, which is very just like groovy and kind of like linear uh, because they just, they do such a good job capturing like a specific vibe on each song and all of the lines and the parts move so well together. But this song is like so cinematic and the synths and the swells and everything are just like crazy. Um, and the sound design is just really sick. So what the fuck did I do with their bass, man? That, that's one of the coolest. Compression. What compressor do you think they use? Muting. It's probably, they're probably doing DI and it's most likely like the SSL channel strip and like some sort of like 1176 type thing, I would imagine. Guys, start like tagging a bunch of music people, music brands in our comment section. I want to do some music reviews or some gear reviews. We did the, the pedal thing like last week or whatever and Ranger Effects reposted us and then we got really stoked. Um. So, some, if we ever do it, just make sure you fucking tag people, because I would love a hardware compressor. <laughs> 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 All right, you cool? Yeah. Goodbye. Love you.